Chapter 73 of History of Philosophy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of Philosophy by William Turner. Chapter 73 Contemporary Philosophy. Germany. In Germany, there seems to be at the present time a tendency towards reconstruction on a realistic basis. Darwin's evolutionary hypothesis and the law of the conservation of energy, which was formulated and proved by Robert Mayer, 1814-1878, demanded a reconstruction of the philosophy of nature, and in answer to this demand there appeared various systems. A. Materialism represented by Karl Vogt, 1817-1895, author of Vorlesungen über den Menschen, etc., 1863, Jakob to 1822-1893, author of Der Kreislauf des Lebens, 1852, Ludwig Büchner, author of Kraft und Stoff, 1855, and Ernst Haeckel, author of Natürliche Schöpfungsgeschichte, 1868, Die Welträtsel, 1899. With these is contrasted Albert Lange, 1828-1875, the historian of materialism who, while maintaining that materialism is indispensable as a method of investigation, teaches that it is untenable as a system. B. Neocriticism. The neocriticists, deploring the effects of the deluge of romanticism, return to the principle of criticism, and in their idealistic reconstruction give fuller scope to the scientific view than their predecessors succeeded in doing. Chief among the neocriticists are Rudolf Hermann Lotze, 1817-1881, author of Metaphysik, 1840, Medizinische Psychologie, 1852, Mikrokosmos, 1856-1864, etc., and Eugen Düring, author of Natürliche Dialectik, 1865, etc. Lotze's philosophy may be said to combine Herbartian with Fichtian and Hegelian metaphysics. During devotes special attention to epistemology, emphasizing the antithesis between the ideal continuity of thought and the fragmentary character of given empirical reality. The most enthusiastic of the Neocantians is Friedrich Paulsen who defines philosophy as the sum of all scientific knowledge. He is equally opposed to the intellectualism of Fichte, Schelling and Hegel who, start quote, absolutely ignore experience and pay it no regard whatever, end quote, and to the materialism of Vogt, Büchner, etc., who overlook the essential distinction between the psychical and the physical order of reality. He adopts a theory of metaphysical and psychological parallelism, panpsychism, and insists, as Rousseau and Schopenhauer insisted, on the recognition of the demands of the heart and the supremacy of will over intellect. In the philosophy of Friedrich Adolf Trendelenburg, 1802-1872, the realistic reaction appears in the form of a revised Aristotelianism. His principal works are Logische Untersuchungen, 1840, Naturrecht auf dem Grunde der Ethik, 1860, and Historische Beiträge zur Philosophie, 
1846. C. Specialization of philosophy. A third phase of the realistic reaction appears in the empirical philosophy, which, in obedience to the principle of the division of labor, is tending towards specialization of philosophical inquiry. Under this head may be included the physiologist E. H. Weber, the psychologists Fechner and Wundt, founders of the science of psychophysics, Brentano, Stumpf, the educationalists and folk psychologists Steintal Lazarus, the logician Sigvart, the epistemologists E. L. Fischer and Hermann Schwarz. To these may be added Turniers, Döring, Ziegler, who devote special attention to ethical problems, Hermann, Karl Fischer, students of the philosophy of history, and Zeller, J. E. Erdmann, Kuno Fischer, Falkenberg, Windelband, Otto Willmann, and Clemens Baumke. Historians of Philosophy. Avenarius, 1843-1896, represents the critical philosophy of experience, empirio-criticism. France. In France, the current of contemporary thought seems to have set towards a neocriticism, which aims at spiritualistic reconstruction. After passing, writes Monsieur Fouillet, through a period in which the intellect was in revolt against the heart, we are entering into one in which the heart is in revolt against the intellect. Vachero, 1809-1897, author of La Métaphysique et la Science, 1858, represents the form of idealism prevalent in France about the middle of the 19th century, the reaction against positivism. More recently, Renouvier, Secretin, Pilon, Boutroux, represent a critical philosophy, which is tending towards partial dogmatism, existence of the infinite, freedom of the will, etc. Paul Janet, 1823-1899, an eclectic spiritualist, represents the continuation of the philosophy of Cousin and Jouffroy, while Alfred Fouillet defends a system of monism based on the concept of idée force, a monism which combines the intellectualism of Hegel with the voluntarism of Schopenhauer. Monsieur l'Abbé Piat, one of the most distinguished representatives of constructive spiritualism in France at the present time, expounds and defends the essential doctrines of Thomistic philosophy. He is to be reckoned among the most enlightened and successful of the neo-Thomists. Among the psychologists, Ribot, Delboeuf, Paulin, represent a modified form of phenomenalism, while Bernheim, Charcot, 1825-1893, Binet, Louis, and Pierre Charnet represent the French school of pathological psychology and psychophysics. The socialism of Fourier, 1772-1837, Proudhon, 1809-1865, etc., gave, towards the middle of the 19th century, an impetus to sociological inquiry which has produced the contemporary French school of sociology. The chief contributors to the literature of sociology are Messieurs Tard and René Forms. England. In England, the neo-Hegelian movement has been gaining strength during the last quarter of a century. In addition to J. H. Sterling, T. H. Green, John Caird, Edward Caird, of whom mention has already been made, William Wallace, F. H. Bradley, 
David G. Ritchie, Andrew Seth, John McTaggart and others exhibit different phases of contemporary interest in transcendental criticism and construction on an idealistic basis. The springs of this movement, Professor Wallace observes, lie in the natural and national revulsion of English habits of mind. Slowly, but at length, the storms of the great European revolution found their way to our intellectual world and shook church and state, society and literature. The insularity which had secluded and narrowed the British mind since the middle of the 18th century needed something deeper and stronger than French ideology to bring it abreast of the requirements of the age. Whatever may be the drawbacks of transcendentalism, they are virtues when set beside the vulgar ideals of enlightenment by superficialization. Alexander Campbell Fraser, in his Philosophy of Theism, advocates the necessity of philosophic faith. Arthur James Balfour, in his Defence of Philosophic Doubt, 1879, and his Foundations of Belief, 1895, opposes both realism and idealism and advocates the principle of authority. In the special departments of philosophic study, there have appeared in recent times the logicians George Boole, 1815-1864, W. Stanley Jevons, 1835-1882, John Veach, J. N. Keynes, Thomas Fowler, the moral philosophers Henry Sidgwick, 1838-1900, James Martineau, 1805-1900, Henry Calderwood, Leslie Stephen, the psychologists James Sully, C. Lloyd Morgan, and W. B. Carpenter, 1813-1885, and the pathologists Henry Maudsley, C. A. Mercier. Italy. In Italy, the official philosophy, whether Hegelian, positivistic, phenomenalistic, or Rosminian, manifests a spirit of bitter hostility towards religion in the positive form of Catholicism. So far, the neo-scholastic movement is apparently without influence on the centres of secular education. Mention here must be made of the Italian school of criminology and psychiatry, represented by Lombroso and Mantegazza. America In America, the neo-Hegelian movement has found distinguished representatives in John Watson and W.T. Harris. The future course of philosophic thought in this country is, however, likely to be influenced less by the neo-Hegelians than by the neo-voluntarists, who teach that, start quote, the ultimate test for us of what a truth means is the conduct it dictates or inspires, and that the whole function of philosophy ought to be to find out what definite difference it will make to you and me at definite instants of our lives if this world formula or that world formula be the one which is true, end quote. This pragmatism may be said to interpret the meaning of conceptions by asking what difference they make in the matter of life, conduct and activity experience. For the Cartesian cogito ergo sum, it substitutes ergo ergo sum. It was first proposed as a maxim by C.S. Pierce. Its chief representatives in this country are Professor William James of Harvard and Professor William Caldwell of Northwestern University. The latter contends that Professor James, while rightly appealing to pragmatism as a method, fails to carry the principle of voluntarism far enough. 
he suggests the adoption of a broader metaphysical principle, according to which reality should be defined as that which sustains a more or less verifiable and determinal relation to our activity. In connection with this neo-voluntarism, or new ethical movement, mention must be made of Professor Josiah Royce of Harvard, who declares that philosophy turns altogether upon trying what our various fundamental ideas mean, defines the individual to be that which is the object of exclusive interest, and in general adopts some non-rational standard, such as concrete experience, loyalty, love, interest, rather than elements constitutive of abstract thought value, as the ultimate test of philosophic truth. Start quote. To be means simply to express, to embody the complete internal meaning of a certain absolute system of ideas. Our theory of the nature of meaning is to be founded upon a definition in terms of will and purpose. End quote. Mention must also be made of psychologists, who, like Professor J. M. Baldwin of Princeton, contend that all cognitive activity is at the same time emotional activity, and that intellectual development is a continual growth in motor accommodation and in practical inventiveness. In the writings of Professor John Dewey of the University of Chicago, there is traceable the influences of the English Hegelians, especially that of Green. There is, however, a manifest tendency on the part of Dr. Dewey to modify the purely intellectual idealism of Green by recognising the motor tendency of our ideas, and thus bringing idealism into closer relation to the determination of values. Professor Frank Thilly of the University of Missouri has done good service to philosophy in America by his translations and by his able presentation of ethical problems. In the published works of Professor G.T. Ladd, the preponderant influence seems to be that of Lotze. Indeed, between Lotze's treatment of the problem of values and the contemporary pragmatic notion of philosophical method, there exists a similarity, which is suggestive of causal dependence. For, just as in Lotze's teleological idealism, reality is referred not to a purely rational category, but to worth or value, which is determined by the purpose of life, so also in the pragmatism with which so much of recent philosophical literature is imbued. Start quote. The ultima ratio of every creed, the ultima ratio of truth itself, is that it works. End quote. Retrospect. When contrasted with the philosophy of the 18th century, the philosophy of the 19th century exhibits in the first place a spirit of constructive activity. The 18th century was largely destructive in its aim and tendency. The age of illumination, which terminated that century, drew a line of separation between the intellectual and the spiritual, between the scientific and the religio-aesthetic, between culture and belief, and placed the individual in sharp antithesis to the social order. It treated with levity, and often with contempt, every effort to harmonise these elements into a constructive system of thought. The 19th century, however, changed all this. Thoroughly in earnest with theism and the problems of theistic philosophy, it attempted to combine into a synthetic system the spiritual, the religious and the aesthetic elements of human life, as well as the intellectual and scientific. 
it studied the relation between the individual and society from the point of view of organic unity and dependence, rather than from that of mechanical independence and natural conflict. Not that philosophy in the 19th century succeeded in effecting a complete and systematic unification of these various elements. The century which has just come to a close was happily alive to the importance and value of constructive effort. But it was unfortunately condemned to start its construction on the foundation which a previous age had laid. If, therefore, at the beginning of the 20th century, a final philosophy seems as far from being attained as it seemed a hundred years ago, it is not because men have not striven, for they have striven earnestly, to find the true solution of the problems of philosophy. Nor is it because they have neglected what their predecessors had too often underestimated, but because they could not break altogether with the past, with the subjectivism, the psychological dualism, and the false sense of philosophic method which they had inherited from Descartes. Indeed, post-Kantian philosophy, the philosophy of the 19th century, exhibits in a high degree the subjectivism which is a characteristic of modern life. It is true that this trait is not always and in all its aspects, a defect. For instance, while, as is well known, the beautiful and the spiritual in the objectus phases played a far more important part in Greek life and in medieval life than they play in modern life, yet it is the modern world that, owing to its clearer consciousness of inner experience, first undertook to analyse the sentiment of the beautiful and the religious sentiment. The subjectivism of modern philosophy appears, too, in its fuller realisation of the difficulty of the philosopher's task. No doubt, the work of unifying all knowledge and formulating a rational explanation of the complex world revealed by modern science is far more imposing than the problem which confronted Thales. But when due allowance is made for the greater complexity of the problems which confront modern philosophy, must it not be charged to the too great subjectivism of our age, that while it has felt more intensely, thought more profoundly, and analysed more acutely, it has accomplished less than any preceding age? As in the individual, so also in the race. Too much questioning and too little active responsibility and practical realisation of the problems of life lead inevitably to the despair of knowing anything. Must an era of reflection be an era of irresolution and hesitancy? The neo-voluntaristic movement of the present hour may be taken as an indication of the incompetency of mere intellect to explain all reality, and the importance which is at the present time attached to philosophic faith may be regarded as an assertion of the limitations of the analytic faculty and an affirmation of the need of constructive synthesis. Both these contemporary tendencies of thought may well meet in a common endeavour to restore a method which, uniting the objective with the subjective and making the supernatural continuous with the natural, would give free scope to reason within the limits of rational inquiry and leave at the same time ample room for the exercise of religious faith. End of chapter 73. Recording by Kate McKenzie.